And welcome once again to another edition of The Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Ellendorf. On the phone line with me today is Dr. Cal Beisner, founder and national spokesman of the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation. Cal was managing editor of a massive book, The State of Humanity, published in 95. He is an adjunct scholar or fellow of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion, the Committee for Constructive Tomorrow, the Atlas Economic Research Foundation, and the Institute for Humane Studies. He participates widely in various venues, giving lectures, answering questions, written four books on population, resources, economics, and the environment, eight other books, and hundreds of articles. Cal, it's, it's a real pleasure to have you join us today. Dan, thanks very much. It's my privilege. Today, maybe you can... Uh, Get us started, Cal, by talking about what you do at the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation, and that will guide some of our questions here today. Oh, I'll be glad to do that. The Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation is a network of evangelical Christian theologians and scientists and economists, plus other scholars, but mainly those three groups. Uh, about 60 scholars in our network sprinkled around the United States, most teaching in universities or working at research facilities, who are dedicated to promoting, through our educational outreach, three things simultaneously. The first of them is, is uh, what we call biblical earth stewardship or godly dominion, picking up on the language of Genesis 1.28, where after God had created Adam and Eve, he said to them, he blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and everything that moves on the face of the earth. Um, and we speak of godly dominion, particularly because uh, many people, when they hear dominion, they right away think of an abusive sort of rule. That's not the idea there at all. A godly dominion, we believe, is men and women created in God's image working together to enhance the fruitfulness and the beauty and the safety of the earth, to the glory of God and the benefit of our neighbors. So that's the first one, uh, biblical earth stewardship. The second is economic development for the very poor around the world. Think in terms of places like sub-Saharan Africa or Haiti or some parts of Asia and Latin America, uh, places where people uh, presently, um, in, the, in the number of about uh, 1.3 billion or so, live on less than the equivalent of $1.25 a day, uh, where they have difficulty obtaining enough food and water uh, to sustain life, where uh, about that many people uh, use as their primary cooking and heating fuels wood and dried dung, the smoke from which the World Health Organization estimates kills about uh, 4 million a year, most of them women and young children, and uh, sickens hundreds of millions, uh, of course making them weak, and therefore not able to work so well as they otherwise could, and therefore to rise out of poverty. And we see, both biblically and historically, the primary means of raising whole societies out of poverty to be a combination of certain moral uh, foundations, such as uh, the rights to private property and uh, to freedom of exchange and, and uh what we might call nowadays free markets or free trade, uh, limited government, but the rule of law protecting people's rights to life, liberty, and property, uh, 
um, the uh, the importance of entrepreneurship, but also the access to abundant, affordable, reliable energy. Because frankly, uh, without without a lot of energy, you simply cannot produce much, and that means you cannot rise out of poverty. And so we we promote all of those things uh, in our desire to uh, to promote economic development for the poor. And then the third focus of our work is to promote uh, the proclamation and defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ in a world that is permeated by an environmental movement, most of whose worldview and theology and ethics tend to be pretty anti-Christian, whose, uh, whose religious worldview tends to have its own doctrines of God, creation, humanity, sin, and salvation. And... Uh, whose science and economics often are very poorly done, resulting in policies meant to protect the natural world that actually, in many cases, don't do very well at that, but are very harmful to the poor around the world. And this movement is actually very intentionally infiltrating Christian churches for the purpose of greening the gospel. Uh, and the result is often a, a real confusion or a... Uh, an obscuring of the gospel. Uh, so we want to try to work to ensure that the Christian Church, while it promotes a godly human dominion over the earth, uh, is not caught up in the uh, in the mistaken notions that are so common to a lot of the environmental movement. Well, it's very helpful, and it's a, it's just a fascinating group you have here, Cal. I praise God that it's in existence. The uh, connection, maybe you can help us here, there's a connection between godly dominion, subduing, ruling the earth, and glorifying God, and and even helping our neighbors. Can you um, help peel the onion just a little bit on on that train of thought? Sure. Uh, Yeah, we, we think that there's a very strong and important connection there. You know, the Lord made the whole world to display His glory. We read that, for instance, in Psalm 19 or in Psalm 104 and uh, in the marvelous uh, chapters 38 through 40 of uh, the book of Job, where God confronts Job uh, with His majesty and splendor as displayed in the creation. And so as we come to appreciate the creation more, as we as we learn to look not only at, you know, giant things like, uh, you know, mountains or oceans or sunrises or sunsets and so on, but even at very minute things such as a snowflake or uh, a living cell and so on, the better we come to understand those, the better we recognize the, the wisdom, the brilliance, the power, and the faithfulness of God, our Creator. And so as we as we do those studies, we actually tend to come to worship the Lord uh, even more than we would before. Uh, but we also recognize that there's an important connection between good environmental stewardship and overcoming poverty. Uh, there's also an important connection between poor environmental stewardship and actually perpetuating or, or exacerbating poverty. What we learn from history is that Frankly, a clean, healthful, beautiful environment is a costly good. And just as with other costly goods, wealthier people can afford more of them than poorer people can. 
if you're worried about putting uh, food on the table or clothes on the back or a roof over the head, you really don't care much about smog or about uh, chemical runoff into lakes and streams or anything else of that sort, uh, deforestation, animal extinction, anything of that nature. Because, frankly, your greatest concern is, how am I going to put food on the table for my children tomorrow morning uh, if, if I have a table? And uh, so that means that if you're very, very poor, you really cannot care much, and you certainly cannot do much to, uh, to protect or to improve the natural environment around you. But as you rise out of poverty, uh, when food, clothing, shelter, some medical care, transportation, communication, education, uh, when those things become pretty well routine, then you start thinking, you know, this smog that burns my eyes, I don't like that, and I would be willing to spend some money to help reduce that. And then what that means is that as you, as you grow economically, you can afford to be better and better stewards of the environment. So there's an interesting sort of a, a, a mutual relationship between environmental stewardship and economic development. Uh, a, a dirty, uh, poisonous environment can cause a lot of illness and, and premature death and keep people from rising out of poverty. Um, but a, a clean environment actually helps people to do that. And yet at the same time, if we can promote economic development in the first place, rising out of a subsistence agriculture economy, first into a more industrial one and then into more of a service and technology-oriented economy, then people can afford to improve their environment. So we see the two as, as uh, mutually beneficial, though a lot of the environmental movement tends to think that economic development is actually the worst enemy of the natural world. We think actually instead that it's the other way around, that, uh, that good economic development is the best friend of, uh, of a clean, healthful, beautiful environment because it enables us to afford it. Hmm. it. It seems what's developing here, Cal, correct me if I'm wrong, there's, a, there's an underlying message here, and that is uh, there's a subtle but yet um, very important difference between environmental stewardship that leads to economic development versus, can I say, versus environmentalism. Yes. Um, the ism part almost implies um, a faith. Um, can, you, can you expand on that a little bit? Well, it does. Um, and, you know, you cannot generalize completely about these things because a lot of different people who would call themselves environmentalists have an awful lot of very different ideas from each other. Hmm. But I think we can say sort of the, the dominant views within the movement. Um, we'd be able to say, for instance, that the, the worldview of most of the environmental movement is either secular, atheistic, um, matter and energy is all there is, and that tends to be what dominates the environmental movement as it was shaped uh, largely in the earlier part of the 20th century and, and in the West, or it tends to be uh, more pantheistic, uh, the notion that God is everything, that uh, the earth itself is God or part of God, or panentheistic, God is to the universe as the soul is to the human body, or animistic, um, there are lots of gods, uh, and they inhabit rocks and trees and streams and so on. Um, 
any one of those, either the, the secularist uh, materialist worldview or the more pantheistic, panentheistic, uh, animistic, Eastern sort of worldview, a mystical worldview, either one of those worldviews tends to, uh, tends to violate the creator-creature distinction that the Apostle Paul writes about in Romans chapter 1. And he tells us that when we, when we begin to worship the creature instead of the creator, when we uh, deny the reality of the creator and his being distinct from his creation, uh, then we become confused about the world around us. In fact, Paul even says that God gives us over to a depraved mind, and and thinking that we're wise, we actually become fools. And the result is um, actually a, a worse stewardship of the world than we would practice if we keep the creator-creature distinction forefront in our minds. So that would be part of it. Another part would be that much of the environmentalist movement tends to see human beings as basically uh, consumers and polluters. We use up resources and we poison the planet while we're at it. Uh, and that, that means they have a fairly negative view of humans. Uh, the top leaders of the world's largest environmental organizations, groups like Greenpeace or the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, World Wildlife Fund, and so on, uh, they tend to be pretty well in agreement that the optimal human population in the world would be only, oh, perhaps in the range of 500 million people instead of the perhaps 7 billion living in the world right now. Well, that would require eliminating about 95% of the human race. And the whole reason for that is that they misunderstand what human beings really are. We are made in God's image. And like God, who is a creator and a sustainer, we are made to be productive and stewardly. And so, in fact, when we, uh, especially when we have been reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus Christ, and our minds are being transformed by the Word of God so that we understand His creation better and understand our responsibilities better, we actually uh, can produce more resources than we consume, and we can be good stewards of the world. Instead of consuming and polluting, we are producers and stewards. So those are, those are sort of an entryway into the discussion, though there is a great deal more <laughs> to, yes. to go into. Well, that's very helpful. It seems that um, the scriptures would have us take care of the earth, but not worship the earth. Yes. And so um, while, you know, personally, i, I got to say, I'm not too concerned about carbon dioxide, I would be concerned about... Um, what we had some time ago with GE dumping PCBs into the Hudson River. Absolutely right, right. There are some uh, there are some uh, uh, substances that, in the wrong place, are very dangerous, and it makes perfect sense to uh, to have uh, whether it is regulatory laws or uh, or instead tort actions through courts. That is where you sue for for harm that's been done. It makes perfect sense for the government to be involved in protecting people from harm uh, done by whether it's individuals or corporations uh, or governments themselves. Actually, historically, governments have the worst environmental records of anybody on the planet, and the 
the more tyrannical, the more uh, the more divorced from accountability to their people the governments are, the, the worse their environmental records tend to be. Uh, but there are also there are also substances that people have become afraid of that they really shouldn't be. I mean, in just simply the fact that so many people will hear the word chemical and immediately think, oh my goodness, that's dangerous. Well, no. Everything around us is chemical. <laughs> Every material thing is a chemical of some sort. Or they'll hear artificial and think, well, then that's dangerous. No. If the chemical is, is a chemical, even you know whether it's man-made or natural, the artificiality of it doesn't make any difference as to whether it is dangerous or not. Uh, but you mentioned carbon dioxide, and that's a great example of how people have been uh, taught to fear something that, in reality, they should not fear. Uh, people are told that rising carbon dioxide concentrations in the atmosphere are driving dangerous uh, man-made global warming. Now, I think 10 years ago, 15 years ago, that was a very plausible notion. But the computer models that really lie at the root of that fear have now been hugely falsified. Uh, they simulate warming that, on average, runs about four times as much as the actual measured, observed warming over the period. Um, and none of them, none of them simulated the fact that uh, from uh, for, for the last 18 years plus, there has been no warming, despite the fact that atmospheric CO2 has continu continued to rise. Now, that added CO2 does contribute something to warming the atmosphere. But that's pretty clear from some basic physics. But basic physics isn't the whole story, because basic physics tells us, after all, if you drop a rock and a feather at the same moment from the same height, they'll hit the ground at the same moment, as long as they're in a vacuum. <laughs> but if they're, air, they're in air, well, the feather will kind of waft back and forth. And if it's, if it's windy, that feather might blow up into a tree and never come down at all. <laughs> so you need to know a whole lot more than basic physics. And what we find is that the thousands and thousands of different ways in which the Earth's climate system, uh, which includes not just the atmosphere, but also the oceans and the land and all living things and ice and everything else, the thousands of ways in which the climate system responds to adding a little CO2 to the atmosphere result in minimizing its warming effect. And as a result, uh, the, the actual warming from CO2 is, is very, very slight and certainly not dangerous. But CO2 is essential to plant growth. Uh, plants must have it in order to do photosynthesis. They take in CO2 and they emit oxygen. And the more CO2 there is in the atmosphere, the better plants grow. Uh, as a result, running from the 1960s onward, we've been able to see from satellite photography uh, growing spread and growing density of vegetation on the Earth tied directly to the fact that there's more CO2 in the atmosphere. And that added CO2 makes plants grow better in warmer and colder temperatures and in wetter and drier soils, uh, makes it, it makes them use the nutrients in the soils better. Uh, it makes them uh, resist diseases and pests better, and leads to a better ratio of fruit to fiber. And the, the result of all of that is a great increase in crop yields around the world, 
so much so that most agricultural economists think that about 12 to 15 percent of the increased crop yields over the last 60 years is attributable just to added CO2 in the atmosphere, uh, amounting to about $3.2 trillion worth of added food over that period. And if we project into the next, oh, 40 years, uh, 35 years, another $9.8 trillion worth of food. Mm. So CO2, we should not be afraid of. We should welcome more CO2 because, in fact, it feeds the world. Everything in the world is either plants or something that eats plants or something that eats something that eats plants. So added CO2 is a win-win-win situation. Yeah, indeed. Um before I forget, today I'm talking with Dr. Cal Beisner, founder and national spokesman of the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation. Cal, if a listener would like to investigate, learn more um, about all of this, uh, where could they go to read some of your writings? Well, and it's not just my writings, by the way. Well, we have, uh, as I mentioned, a, a group of about 60 different scholars who are in our network, and we have writings by quite a few of them. Uh, the place to go is cornwallalliance.org. That's cornwallalliance.org. Uh, we also have, by the way, a page on Facebook. So if people are on Facebook, they can just look for Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation. And we post there typically three or four times a day. We'll post new educational information. Uh, but at the website, cornwallalliance.org, we have, we have many major papers. We have hundreds of, of brief articles and, and uh, even shorter pieces. And we have a variety of different educational tools that people can use as well. And right at the moment, we're, uh, we're in the midst of a 25-day period of, of prayer for the environment and the poor. Uh, that will culminate on March 25, uh, which we've uh, designated a day of prayer for the environment and the poor. And we chose that date because that's the birthday of the late Norman Borlaug. Norman Borlaug was the 1970 Nobel Peace Prize winner. Uh, he is often known as the man who fed the world or the man who fed a billion people or the father of the Green Revolution. He was a Christian and a plant scientist. And his, his work on breeding of various very basic food crops like wheat and corn and soybeans and the like um, multiplied their yields per acre by two, four, six, even eight times. Mm. And the result was that we were able to feed a much larger population uh, than we had been able to before. When people like Paul Ehrlich in 1968 with his book The Population Bomb we're saying that the battle to feed humanity was over, that hundreds of millions, millions of people would, would die in famines during the 1970s, no matter what we did, uh, that the, the world's population was already way too large and would have to be cut way back or we would run out of food. Um, Borlaug instead was solving the problem by, uh, by designing plants that just simply grow a whole lot more food. And he's just a great example of what I called earlier godly dominion, enhancing the fruitfulness and the beauty and the safety of the earth to the glory of God and the benefit of our, our neighbors. So we've designated his birthday as a day of prayer for the environment and the poor. And uh, we have a number of prayers already posted on the website. Various pastors and missionaries and the like from around the world have been writing them for us. And, and we'll be uh, breaking up uh, March 25th, uh, 25th into 24 one-hour segments, and we're asking people to 
sign up to pray during those particular times. They can find model prayers and a guide to prayer on our website. Well, that's a very practical way to participate in uh, actually a godly dominion in terms of stewardship of our environment. And uh, Cal, this is wonderful. I wish we had more time. I see that the clock is running out here. Uh, maybe just 30-second, 45-second wrap-up thought for our listeners uh, before we have to leave. Well, I think I would uh, close with this, that we have tremendous opportunities to, uh, to improve the lives of people all over the world through a combination of good environmental stewardship and economic development. And we really do need to put those two together. That's why the Cornwall Alliance works the way it does. And so, again, we would invite your listeners to come to cornwallalliance.org, read our papers, sign up for our free uh, weekly email newsletter. It actually sometimes goes out more than once a week, and it's always educational. And uh, share the information that they learn there with their pastors and friends. Uh, we also provide speakers for churches, schools, colleges, uh, conferences, and the like. And so we'd encourage them to get in touch with us for that as well. Uh, beautiful. Thank you very much. Uh, my guest today is Dr. Cal Beisner, founder and national spokesman of the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation. A copy of this broadcast is up on our website. Check it out. We're found at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. And Cal, thank you so much for joining us today. Dan, thank you very much. I've always enjoyed it and look forward to the next time. <laughs> yes, sir. For Redeemer Broadcasting, I'm Dan Elmendorf. Quick reminder, please join us next week at the same time for another edition of A Plain Answer. His name will always be We trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some trust in the work they do. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. By His grace all the work is through. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. Trust in the wealth of things. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. A name worth more than anything. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. Trust in the name of the Lord our God. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. His love never fails. His name will always prevail. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. We trust in the